0: The following is a Pro Football Network podcast. The primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. And how does Corral do against what's a very good, or what should be anyway, a very good secondary uh, of Auburn? You mentioned Roger McCreary. They got Smoke Monday there who makes plays on occasion, a big-time hitter. I like Nehemiah Pritchett more of a nickel back at the next level. These guys all have solid ball skills. Smoke Monday may not be the greatest athlete in the world, but he's, he's a tough football player. I, I mean, as far as Auburn's defense is concerned, I, I mean, this is, this is the call for them up until the Alabama game. You know, they got to really start to play up to their level of ability. And on paper anyway, It's not only a good prospect matchup, but it's a matchup where the Mississippi offense should at least be slowed down by the Auburn defense.
1: Welcome in to Between the Hashes once again. It's week nine of the college football season, week eight of the NFL season. The NFL trade deadline is fastly approaching and we're entering the back half of the college football season, which lends itself to midweek MAC football. Action is the best action for the middle of the week. Blues that is November. I'm Cam Meller, Tony Pauline. Welcome. How are we doing?
0: I'm okay. I'm okay. Exciting week coming up. Uh, Surprising week uh, just passed. I mean, you you never think that you would never think that an undefeated team like Oklahoma would get so much grief for winning games, but you know they're just squeaking by their opponents. Another squeaker this past weekend. uh, Be uh, barely beating a lowly Kansas team,
1: but they're winning, and that's the bottom line. I, yeah. Big storyline to me. I'm taking away all that. They win. They should have won whatever they should have probably beat them by a, a lot more points. Caleb, William, Caleb Williams struggles, no yeah. sign of him ever no. exiting the game. No. I,
0: yeah. Just like the week before. I mean, there were plenty of opportunities for Spencer Rattler to come into that uh, contest. And as we said, you know, last week's uh, podcast, what happens with Spencer Rattler now, obviously it's Oklahoma career. looks like, and gosh, forbid. have been, is over unless, gosh forbid, you know, Caleb Williams suffers a significant injury. You don't want that to happen. Can't enter the draft. So it looks like uh, right now, you know, barring some sort of, you know, unforeseen event or whatever you want to call it, uh, Spencer Rattler won't be in the draft and will be playing for another school next year. That's the way it looks. We'll see what happens the
1: rest of the last month and a half of the season. Crazier things have happened, I'm sure. But if you look at the recent trajectory Looking like he could upseat Cam rising at Utah. Utah's taken in multiple power five, even now multiple big 12 transfer quarterbacks. I doubt. I doubt that. I think they like rising there going forward. But we'll see. That's going to be the topic of conversation as much as the NFL draft will be as we enter you know, that offseason portion of college football. So
0: And considering, considering how those quarterbacks have done at Utah, Utah, Utah would be at the bottom of my list if I'm Spencer Rattler.
1: Absolutely. It's, Kyle Whittingham is known for one thing. It's certainly not offense. It's it's absolutely the other side of that ball. So, all right, let's kick it off. There's quarterback controversy, not controversy, but controversy around Spencer Rattler. There is no quarterback controversy with the Pittsburgh Panthers. Longtime quarterback, Kenny Pickett, supplanting himself in the draft stratosphere of the top quarterbacks, at least we're going to discuss Kenny Pickett among the top quarterbacks, but also I think Kenny Pickett giving a lot of credit to his Heisman candidacy, beating Clemson, uh, a game that they're obviously the better team this year. But he pulls out the victory, gutsy performance. I loved his situational football. Third and eight, they run a pass. It's late in the game. They need a first down. What does he do? He sees he's got nine yards to gain. He gets it. He didn't even think twice. Dives the first down. Stays. I, it's his situational football was was awesome, and that that's what you should get from a fifth year player. I mean, listen. From a from a Heisman uh,
0: standpoint of view, from a college standpoint of view, he's checking all the boxes. He's having a marvelous year. He deserves to be applauded for it. Does that necessarily translate to being the top quarterback in the two thousand twenty two draft and a first round pick? I'm going to take my foot off the throttle on that one. I know everyone you know loves Kenny Pickett as well as Matt Corral. Uh, Kenny Pickett to me is. He's, do, he's got it going on between the ears. There's no doubt about it. He sees the field. He makes good decisions. He protects the football. He makes good passes. Uh, you know he's got that all going on. Does he have the arm strength to play at the next level? Does he have the physical skills? I think Kenny Pickett's ultimate draft positioning is really going to be determined on how he does at the Senior Bowl. You know, because when he goes to the Senior Bowl, hopefully he goes to the Senior Bowl, he's going to be asked to make all types of NFL passes, the deep outs. He's going to be asked to make the crushed field outs, and he's going to have to deliver those passes with good speed, velocity, as well as accuracy. He's going to be asked to make a lot of passes on the move. And as we've seen time and time again, for right or wrong, whether it's Carson Wentz, whether it's Carson Palmer, whether it's Donovan McNabb, whether it's Baker Mayfield, the Senior Bowl is a kingmaker at the quarterback position. So while everyone is pushing Kenny Pickett into their top 32, I'm not one of them. I applaud him for the great college season he's having, and I believe he deserves all the accolades he's getting. But as far as projecting him to the next level, you know, I still think there are some questions about him, the physical skills, the arm strength. Can he make the NFL passes? And I don't think that those questions will be answered until the senior bowl practices, assuming he goes there, or if he doesn't, you know, pro day or combine workout. Hopefully he
1: goes to the senior bowl. We'll have more on that moving forward. It's, it's very exciting for him. Very exciting for Pitt. I, I like watching him play as a college quarterback. I I can see it. I honestly, you know, if the Steelers get around to it day two, day three, he's still sitting there. Might as well keep him in, in state, in city. Uh, they need a replacement ultimately for Big Ben. It just, there's a pick that makes too much sense. And it's Kenny Pickett staying in Pittsburgh. He's already been there for a decade. It feels like might as well keep him there for another, but let's look at it this way. There's a ton of talent. Clemson's offense is struggling. Everybody knows that. This Clemson defense, though, is still loaded with talent, especially in the back seven. We previewed them last week. What were our takeaways from this Pitt game, Kenny Pickett, his talented receivers, Addison and Mack, but against this Clemson back seven specifically?
0: Yeah, well, I think part of the problem is Clemson's defensive line has had a lot of injuries, and that leaves the back seven exposed. So, you know, there were a lot of wide-open receivers. There were a lot of missed coverages. They've not been playing well you know, as impressed as I was with Pickett leading into the game and the way he played during Clemson did not come away all that
1: impressed with the, uh, with the Clemson back defensive seven. I think that's pretty much the common theme with Clemson this year. Not impressed, not impressed with DJ. We got to see the backup foam and chew in there as well. Also not impressive. Uh, It looks like there's some, some dark times ahead for Clemson here. They. uh, Got to get through some uh, pretty shaky ACC schedule, and they'd be sitting there with five, six losses on a season that they had much higher expectations, I'm sure. So, Well, you know, but, let's go back to that. I mean, uh, go back to one of our first
0: podcasts. When we talked about that, I mean, there was no reason for people to, in my opinion, we said this, for, for people to have Clemson rated as highly as they did, and, and that's my problem with the preseason rankings. So much of the preseason rankings are based on what a team did the prior year. Taking to, not taking into account the fact that they may have lost a ton of talent in the case of uh, Clemson, it was a generational quarterback, an outstanding uh, running back and, and a bunch of receivers. I don't know why the expectations were so high for Clemson this year.
1: Yeah, we had a two-game sample size of DJ Uolunglele, and he lost one of those, and he put up a lot of yards. Uh, he did play there. well, though. He, he has
0: been disappointing. I, I thought he would be doing much better. But even still, I, I yeah. mean, you got Justin Ross back, but we didn't know what Justin Ross we were getting back. And, you know, the the, the running game has been uh, has not been good. Obviously, you lose Travis Etienne. Um, but again, I, I I mean, I don't know why the expectations were so high for Clemson
1: coming into the season. I agree. So the expectations were high for Notre Dame as well. We yeah. previewed them. Let's talk Notre Dame-USC, specifically Drake London. He is the focal point of that offense. He is the target target king. I mean, I don't think anybody else gets even a third of the targets that Drake London gets. And yet still, Notre Dame can't stop him. That's a common theme. Nobody can really stop Drake London this year, even though he is the top target. But what were our your, your biggest takeaways, I guess, from individual matter battles, but the game specifically, USC-Notre Dame?
0: Well, I, I mean, we talked about uh, Drake London versus Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton goes out of that game early with uh, a leg knee injury, which he looked like he, he kind of just kind of stretched himself too much. It didn't matter because USC couldn't score. I mean, Keaton Slovis was what? 27 to 37 for 299 yards, no touchdowns and interception and one interception. Drake London had 15 of those receptions, 15 of those 27 receptions for 171 of those 299 yards. I mean, we've talked about this uh last week. As good as Drake London is, I I mean he's a crutch for Keaton Slovis. And Keaton Slovis doesn't seem to be able to pass the ball around or do anything without Drake London. In fact, if you watch the broadcast, they were talking about that during the broadcast. Notre Dame should have just tripled Drake London and, and forgot about everybody else. Didn't matter because Notre Dame handled USC. Uh, but I think I I think you're seeing As good as Drake London is and as quickly as he's moving up draft boards, Keaton Slovis is going in the opposite direction because even when he has a great receiver or an outstanding receiver like Drake London, he can't get the team in the end zone. He's not throwing touchdown passes and Drake London is basically a crutch. You take Drake London out of that, not just the Notre Dame game, but for most of the season and Keaton Slovis's numbers are not very good.
1: Yeah, there's questionable decisions to throw to London at times. London is making him look significantly better, like we talked about last week as well. Quarterback rankings, when I redo them here in the next week or so, it's going to be a pretty far drop for Slovis. If I just – this is – my quarterback rankings are college quarterback rankings. Nothing to do with their NFL draft stock because he still might have some future in the NFL. There's a lot going wrong at USC. London, not one of them. Slovis might be one of those. They do have a fabulous freshman, Jackson Dart, who was the – winner of the Washington state game earlier this year, unless we forget about that. So some interesting takeaways from USC, Notre Dame, interesting takeaways from USC this year in general, as they also make headlines this week with Carson Palmer saying Mike Tomlin is a candidate for the job and Mike Tomlin quickly squashing those. That's an interesting story for another day. Let's go, let's go back to the, uh, the sec. We have another game we previewed last week, another game that took place and sort of went how we thought it might go. Texas A&M South Carolina the Aggies running all over the Gamecocks, Isaiah Spiller doing his thing. And then Devin hop aboard the A-chain, the running back there, the, the their dual threat running back team of Spiller and A-chain look uh, very impressive. Spiller did it while injured. I mean, he evidently that
0: injury he suffered during the Alabama game is still bothering him. So uh, he was limping in and out of the, into the huddle, I should say anyway. Uh, but again, you know, like, like we said, and, we wanted to see how the South Carolina defensive end pass rusher did against the Texas A&M duo of uh, Jameer Johnson and Kenyon Green. And in my opinion, he didn't do very well. I believe he had two solo tackles, assisted on two tackles. And he was basically handled most of the night from Kenyon Green and Jameer Johnson, who continually moves up draft boards. I mean, here was a guy who was barely mentioned by scouts coming into the year. There were some scouts that gave him a draft. grade, great, although it was late. Someone who went from Rhode Island to Tennessee, then transferred to uh, Texas A&M and has really cemented himself at that left tackle spot. And uh, I I think the big story from our point of view when we previewed this game is how Jameer Johnson continually impresses. Don't know that he's going to stay at left tackle. He's a little bit short to be a left tackle, probably going to move into guard. But his movement skills, his ability to slide in space, his ability in pass protection, really are top notch. Another guy, hope to see it at the Senior Bowl. And I think uh, someone who can make a lot of money at the Senior Bowl.
1: That Senior Bowl, uh, no, another good time. Might as well talk about it. We'll be there. Uh, I believe the three of us, you, myself, and uh, draft analyst Ian Cummings from Pro Football Network, are getting excited for the Senior Bowl, uh, as we always are. Who isn't excited for the Senior Bowl if you live and breathe the NFL draft like we all do? So, I, must, I must
0: say, I, I thought you were going to help me out on that one. But the South Carolina defense uh, pass rush you're talking about is
1: Kingsley. Egg, uh, I, I'm not even going to try to There, just you can lead a horse to water. You can't make me drink, though. So left me left me hanging there, but that's okay. It's what I do. Uh, I think I I said him last week. You know, pronunciation is not necessarily a strong suit. You can be a great draft analyst. Pronunciation is next. We'll we'll uh, we'll work on that. But the NFL draft. Let's. This is a. It's a. It's a transition. We'll transition to the NFL draft news. We have quite a few. Quite a few players to talk about here. I, we want to lump in the first one here. Let's kick it off. There's injury news, and then let's the stay in the ACC. Two players NC State linebacker Isaiah Moore, and then uh, Miami safety Bubba Bolden. Right. Yeah, Moore had
0: a knee injury. He's out for the year. Bubba Bolden, a shoulder injury. He's out for the year. Now, as far as Moore's concerned, I've liked Moore for the past three years. I've had him rated much higher than scouts. He was having a terrific campaign. Now he's gone for the year. Bubba Bolden coming into the the season was my highest rated player on the hurricane roster. I gave him a fourth round grade. There were some scouts that had him as a third round grade. It's not been good for Miami on or off the field. I think the interesting thing with both of these players is do they come back for another season on the college field or do they enter the NFL draft? I think it would be a mistake for Isaiah Moore to enter the draft because he didn't have high grades to begin with. Although I do like him, Bubba Bolden. It'll be interesting to see what he does. Uh, I, I mean, this is, you know, injuries are never good. This hurts these guys' uh, draft stock. I, I think what they do next, and I have no idea what what their decisions are going to be. Uh, they've got till February first uh, whether or not they're going to use that extra year of eligibility the NC two A granted
1: all players last year. That'll be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's interesting. I Actually, you know, there's mm-hmm. been rumors or talk about Bolden and whether he's even still with the Miami program or not. So that's another added wrinkle here. He might have already made his decision quickly once that injury took place. So he's a guy that, in my opinion, he's gotten by on his name, his recruiting prowess, and a little bit of splash here and there. So I would have loved to have seen a consistent level of play before he snuck into any day two conversations. So,
0: yeah, that, but, I, I don't think that was – I mean, that was size and speed – Yep. more size and speed measurables by scouts. But I think when you watch him play, I mean, he's a strong safety, downhill zone safety type. He doesn't have great range. He's not great in coverage. He has a bit limitations. He's a big time hitter. Yeah. And whenever a big
1: time hitter has a shoulder injury, that's not good. It's not good. Yeah. I remember there was a, it was the UAB game last year, I believe that he actually hurt himself in it with a big hit too. So always, always risk and reward with those kinds of players. So not, not so much risk and reward, maybe so much, risk and reward another guy Auburn defensive uh, depending on where where he align aligns in the NFL defensive interior player Colby Wooden this is a guy who's I think this year has been relatively consistent in terms of at least pass rushing I don't know what he does in the run defense so so to speak uh, from the NFL angle but he's been very good for Auburn Uh, defense has not been a struggle for Auburn this season Colby Wooden though yeah, he's not going to be a
0: defensive interior player at the next level. He's absolutely – he's a terrific edge rusher. Whether he comes out of a three-point stance as a one-gap defensive end, whether he stands up over tackle, the the news here is I'm told he's leaning towards entering the draft. Very good chance he uh, makes the jump after the season. He's been sending out those signals, talking with people, talking with representation. If he does enter the draft, I think he's a day-two pick. I
1: think there's a very good chance he's the first Auburn player selected off the board. High praise for this Auburn team. They don't necessarily have quite the talent like they once had. Roger McCreary is getting a lot of looks and a lot of public publication of his uh, play. We'll see another player. That's really, I I think, rocketing up. It's on, we'll stay on the defensive side here as well. Wisconsin linebacker. They have a good, they have a good core. This linebacking core for Wisconsin carried this defense as their back seven general typically does. It seems like under Jim Leonard. So Leo Chenal, linebacker for Wisconsin. We have some news there.
0: Yeah, I, again, very likely going to enter the draft. Someone told me he's absolutely going to enter the draft. An outstanding pass rusher. He was a, a week eight riser. I think, what did he have? Like three and a half sacks and five and a half tackles for loss just last week against Purdue. I mean, that's a season for most guys. He didn't <laughs> one game. He was good in 2020. He's obviously elevated his game. Where is he going to play at the next level? Is he going to be an inside linebacker, outside linebacker? I happen to like him as a 3-4 outside linebacker uh, who can rush the passer, make plays up the field. You could also stick him on the inside on running downs. Again, someone who, you know, the trajectory is pointing up on Leo Chanel. I have him as a day two pick. I think he'll be the second, if he enters the draft, which, as I said, I'm hearing he will, be the second uh, Wisconsin player off the board after Jake Ferguson. But all signs point to Leo Chinel of Wisconsin entering the draft.
1: I like that he fed a three-four outside linebacker, proving that he can rush the passer this season. But also, anybody under Jim Leonard's going to be able to cover, in my opinion. So, this guy is a you know, great three-four outside linebacker. Let's um, we're going to transfer now to offense, stay in the Big Ten, and then we'll go back to defense in a little bit. Just uh, previewing that here. Ohio State has some pretty good offensive linemen. There's the massive man, Dewan Jones, who is rivaling Daniel Falele for biggest man on the right side in the Big Ten. But they moved Thayer Mumford inside. Nicholas yep. Pettit Frere, their left tackle, yep. we have news on him as well in PF. Yeah. Again, another week eight riser who
0: I'm hearing is going to enter the draft. Not unusual because Ohio State usually has a ton of underclassmen leave. Uh, Petit Frere has shown consistent progress in his game. I mean, they were the dominant force in that blowout win over Indiana last week. You know, the, the quarterback's numbers were okay. The rushing numbers were okay. But it was the offensive line that just pushed Indiana up and down the field. And it was Petit Frere because he's a big, strong guy on the line of scrimmage. But he's also relatively mobile. He can get out in second level and block in motion. He can slide his feet in pass protection. I have him graded as a second-round pick. You mentioned Jones, who's really come out of nowhere to make himself a legitimate mid-round prospect. I think Thayer Munford looks more and more comfortable at the guard position compared to when I saw him week one against Oregon, when he looked like he was stuck in cement. But Petit Ferrer is the big uh, big story here. I have him as a second-round pick. He's a, he's a guy who can play left tackle at the next level when you have so many of these guys who are, gonna, who are college left tackles who may have to switch to the right side. I think Petit Frere is a natural left tackle for the next level. I think he's going to be a round-two selection, obviously uh, a top five or six uh, offensive tackle for the 2022 nfl draft
1: high praise but again this is a team that is nothing different That that is not a surprise in my opinion for an ohio state offensive line to have multiple players drafted i was surprised though at devon jones 6'8, 360 or something like that 340 maybe to move like he does he moves he's got pretty nimble feet for a man his size if you compare him to anybody else it's not nimble feet at all, really, but for a guy his size, he's a massive individual. So, let's go out west here a little bit. I think it probably it it shocked me. So it's got to shock other people that if you didn't know the situation, maybe you're unshocked. But there is an edge defender, outside mm-hmm. linebacker for Washington, ZTF. Because I'm not even gonna bother right now. Zion to pull F- futi fetti. I, I got to, I got to figure it out. ZTF, Z-T-F. comes Z-T-F- back. Ruptured his Achilles in what, February, March spring practice, and he's already back playing. I thought – I mean, I'm of the old adage where an Achilles is a 12-month injury recuperation process, but here he is eight months later, nine months later, and he's already back from a ruptured Achilles, and he was terrific this past yeah. week. Yeah, I, I think he had two sacks. I mean, that, that bears watching. I
0: mean, if he came back uh, this early from that injury – you would think that this could be his last year at at Washington. Now, I spoke with people out there and they have no clue as to whether or not he is going to enter the draft. But if you read my summer report, I gave him glowing reviews. I said that I thought he was better than Joe Tryon at equal equal parts of their uh, college career. Tryon's a little bit bigger. Some people feel he's a little bit more explosive. Uh, but the fact that uh, Tupeloa Fatui, I'll, I'll take a stab at his last name, came back from that Achilles injury when I think the initial prognosis was six to 10 months, potentially the whole uh, the whole season. And he was on the, the early end of that six months. And to play the way he did, you got to watch him the rest of the year. I mean, if, if he continues to improve, if he continues to show no ill effects uh, from that spring, uh, the Achilles injury that he, he suffered during the spring, Good chance he enters the draft. Right
1: now, I have him graded as a day two selection. Yeah, it's, it would be hard to not have him in that day two, in my opinion, just with the flashes he showed last year consistently and then this year coming back. I mean, this is a guy who loves the game, but also for the news angle, he is clearly looking towards leaving. If you come back and rush an injury, you clearly – I mean, mentally, I, I don't want to come back if I'm getting day two grades and I can come back and show it and feel healthy enough. So good for him, good on him to come back. Good for Washington. They needed a guy like him on that defense what i will say though for pronunciation they don't have it on his player profile on washington because i looked i need a gus johnson call for a washington game because the way he enunciates the the sounds and i know you know he'll be talking with them but the way that gus johnson will say it i feel like then we the world could get around to uh being able to pronounce etf's name fully so let's get washington on a gus johnson call here hopefully before the season's out let uh let's let's stay in the pac-12 you have more on juniors in the pac-12 let's stay out west Two defensive
0: backs that I'm hearing are very likely to enter the draft: uh, Fatui's, uh teammate Kyler Gordon, the cornerback, and Verone McKinley, the safety from Oregon. One of my favorites, uh, McKinley. I- I'm told is gone after the season. He's telling people, or people in his, in his family are telling people, no, he's five foot eleven, and he doesn't look five foot eleven. He looks maybe five nine and change, under five ten. But we've seen smaller safeties have a lot of success in the NFL at times. And McKinley's a terrific player. He's smart. He's got excellent ball skills. He does get overmatched because of that lack of size. You go back to that first game of the year, got overmatched by uh, Garrett Wilson, uh, especially on the high throws, which C.J. Stroud does a good job of throwing the ball (laughs) high to his receivers. Uh, But again, I I mean, he goes sideline to sideline. He's instinctive. He He gives it up against the run. I think right now, third, fourth round, Team may be able to look, overlook the fact that uh, he's a little bit short. I mean, who knows? Maybe he, if he enters the draft, like I'm told he will, maybe he, he does show up at five eleven at the Combine. I would be surprised. Marone McKinley, I'm told, going to enter the draft. Good chance Kyler Gordon, the cornerback from Washington, also enters the draft. He's all over draft boards. Entering the season, I had him as a late-round pick. I've moved him up into the fourth round. I know some scouts think he could be a second-round choice. There are some scouts uh, that think he's a late-round choice. I'm told he's leaning towards it. His teammate, Trent McDuffie, I can't get my uh, thumb on the pulse there as to whether or not he will also enter the draft. Hopefully we'll have some news on that in the
1: coming weeks. To me, it to leans. I would assume, I would assume, assume they're, they're going up to McDuffie and Gordon. I mean, these, yeah, guys, these guys are, Jimmy Lake. Uh, they're in it already. So going forward, that one makes sense. I, I will say for McKinley, I, it's a fair comparison – there are comp, I think, to mm-hmm. look at certain players of similar stature. He is in no way, shape, or form an Earl Thomas player. But there is shades of Earl Thomas to his game, the free-ranging safety that he he's able to close speed or close gaps, space on the field with his speed. He's similar size. You now, if he runs as fast as Earl Thomas, we'll see. But I, I I love McKinley. I also love what I heard from multiple Oregon defensive backs that were on the team with him that said that both Mikhail Wright and Ro McKinley were better than all of them, and that was from – Javon Holland and Diamond or Lenore. So I'm assuming that's a high praise as you leave the program. Cause I think that Lenore and obviously Holland with dolphins now and the with Niners. So interesting take. I, I like, I always like the Oregon secondary the way that they've recruited and, and built themselves up. So that's enough looking back though. Let's look forward. You can't look forward without looking back, but let's look forward now. Week nine of the college football season kicks off on a Thursday night. I, I just want to give shout out to my father's alma mater who. If he were here with us still, he would love to watch USF finally maybe turn the corner. Uh, Jeff Scott took a little bit longer for USF to turn the corner. They run the ball 73 times last week against Temple. They ran 95 offensive plays. And in the year of 2021, Temple somehow only ran 35 offensive plays last week against USF. Complete and utter ball control for USF. They take on ECU tonight. I think the Bulls have finally turned the corner. They have a lot of true freshman playing and a lot of redshirt freshman playing. And then they have Colorado running back, transferred Jaron Magnum running the ball. This team, USF's fun if you like watching old school smash mouth run it down your throat football. That's Thursday night. Week nine, though, staying in the AAC. Clearly, I knew my transition there. SMU versus Houston. What are we watching?
0: Big, big game as far as the conference is concerned. I mean, uh, Houston has not lost the game this year. SMU's only lost one game. Houston finally got that game against East Carolina off last week. If you were were in front of your television watching the TV – they had that little red-yellow uh, thing back on the uh, on the uh, bottom of the screen that uh, Houston and East Carolina was in a, a weather delay. Six hours later, they were still in the weather delay. I was figuring that they were just going to postpone the game till Sunday or Monday. They never did. Houston's undefeated. But anyway, there are some good next-level matchups. Uh, SMU has three terrific receivers. Danny Gray, who is having an outstanding year. I grade him as an early fifth-round choice. Reggie Roberson, who's been one of my favorite receivers the past two seasons – he plays like a third-rounder, but he's had two season-ending injuries in 2019 and 2020, which is going to raise a lot of red flags. And then Rasheed Rice, an classman, who's actually outperforming Reggie Roberson this year. I had uh, Rasheed Rice graded as a fifth-rounder coming into the season. Obviously, I think he's played better than that. But those guys are, are lethal pest-catching weapons going against the duo of Damarian Williams, uh, the cornerback from Houston, who's a late rounder, and Marcus Jones, a smaller dime back for the next level who's got some solid ball skills. So it's, it's a matter of can Marcus, uh, Will, DeMarcus Williams, I'm sorry, who went back for another senior season, who has got decent size, he's got solid ball skills, facing the action, kind of gets a little hazy when he's got to try, try to make plays with his back to the ball. Uh, 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 can uh, DeMarcus Williams and Marcus Jones do anything to slow down Three NFL
1: type receivers that SMU is going to line up. It's uh, SMU has been a lot of fun in that Houston ECU game, I swear. I mean, it was for a little bit of time before Hawaii kicked off at midnight Eastern. They were the only game on TV and they kicked off or were supposed to kick off at noon. So that was uh, quite the delay, quite the storyline if you're watching college football all, all weekend or all Saturday, like the majority of us were. I love the way that Tanner Mordecai is getting the ball out. And I think Rashi Rice is just. I mean, he's a highlight reel in a giant, massive package at wide receiver. So it's been fun to watch Mordecai be able to get the ball to all three and multiples of those players out there. So Mordecai's fun, lighten up the scoreboard as well. Let's go back, though. We mentioned him earlier. We talked about Ohio State. We're going to watch the offensive line. If you're offensive line fans, you're going to watch this one especially. Penn State has a great defense. This is Ohio State's first real test, in my opinion, since that Oregon game. This is the game they host Penn State. Penn State not really lighting it up on offense. They have some talented players. I don't know if they're a complete team right now, Penn State is. Ohio State, though, can prove that they that they are. Yeah. CJ Stroud had a good game against Indiana. He But like you said, the offensive line sort of dominated the way towards that victory. There was a couple of good throws from Stroud. He's going to have to be on his game. But what are we watching specifically here, Ohio State versus Penn State, as Ohio State looks ahead, hopefully doesn't look ahead to that end of their schedule, which has Michigan State, Michigan, and back-to-back weeks. Yeah, Saturday night national game
0: in Columbus. I know you will be there in costume, uh, with, with, uh, in the student section, but again, it's going to be another situation where it's receivers against secondary. Obviously you got Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson of Ohio state, both greatest first rounders on my board. I think Olave doesn't have, hasn't had a great season, uh, a stat season, but he's been productive. I think part of the problem as we've illustrated on this, uh, on this podcast is, you know, C.J. Stroud's ups and downs. It's not that is uh, playing badly. He's actually playing well. It's just Stroud doesn't see him. Stroud doesn't get him the ball, although he's made uh, he's made uh, improvements in that area against what should be a very tough Penn State secondary. Jawan Briscoe, I think, has played much better. Tariq Castro-Fields has times where he looks dominant, but then he has some Uh, You know, he'll have some lapses on the field. Joey Porter Jr. has shown great upside. I think Brisker and Castro Fields are mid-round picks. I don't know that they get into day two. I don't think they get out of the fourth round. Joey Porter, I think, is high upside, but he's got to play consistently to a high level. This is going to be their toughest test of the season because you got Olave who can take it deep, but he's also a real good underneath receiver. And you got Garrett Wilson who's got some decent deep downfield speed and go over the middle and went out for the contested throw. So, I mean, can Penn State, you know, slow this this duo down from a prospect point of view? And I I guess from a game point of view and from a college football point of view, you know, can C.J. Stroud hit these receivers in stride and, and not make them work too hard to come away with the catch?
1: Yeah, because if he does, then that's – I mean, the advantage is already Ohio State, especially in this regard. But if he hit, is hitting Olave, Wilson, Jackson, Smith, and Jibba, like if, if he hits these guys, this is a talented receiving core that we could be talking about. You're well, Yeah, not quite rivaling the Alabama core four that they have that are now all first-round picks. But this is a really talented four or five wide receivers for Ohio State. So even if you stop Olave and Wilson, there's still threats for them. And then, I mean – Myron Williams, this, this running back. I mean, this team, it's an, it's another Ohio state team. So you have to stop them on all facets. And so it starts with the passing game though, obviously. So I'm looking forward to this one specifically. I actually won't be in the student section. It is trick or treating with my family. We will be the Peppa pig family actually. So daddy pig over here, my daughter's Peppa, obviously little brother, George and mommy pig. It's going to be, it's going to be a scene over here. uh, Halloween weekend where we're the pig family. So just make sure you are a costume uh, during next week's podcast. Oh, now we're talking. I actually have an an in or a reason to to gain weight. My daughter said I don't have a belly big enough like Daddy pigs. So if I gained some weight, she said it would be okay. So I guess I have that going for me. I can let myself go a little bit now. Let's go back, though. Razorbacks, Pigs, we're not talking about Arkansas. We'll talk about Ole Miss, Auburn. This game here, obviously the hot topic, quarterback one race to be quarterback one, wherever you stand in that regard. Some people now have picket number one. Matt Corral is in the lead there. The Ole Miss quarterback stumbles against Alabama. They've only put up 31 points, which sounds silly, but this is a team that was averaging almost 60 or almost 50 through the first portion of the season. They've reached SEC play, Ole Miss, and they're putting up 30 points a game. So, what are we looking for? Ole Miss versus Auburn: another stiff test for this Ole Miss offense on defensive side for Auburn.
0: Yeah, and, and on paper. I, I mean, Auburn should be able to, if not shut down the Mississippi offense, I don't know that that's possible, at least slow them down. I mean, we talked about Colby Wooden before, the outstanding pass rusher, expected to enter the draft. He's going to be going up against Nick Broker, who we've talked about on this podcast, who I'm told uh, the left tackle from Mississippi, who I'm told is also going to enter the draft. Solid left tackle, don't know that he stays at that position in the NFL, more likely to move, be moved inside the guard. But I think Wooden has, you know, an athletic, an explosive, and a speed advantage over Broker. What Broker does so well, terrific fundamentals, great job of uh, positioning and use of angles to protect the blind side of Matt Corral. You know, Ken wouldn't get up and disturb or, uh, or pressure a Corral and how does Corral do against what's a very good, or what should be anyway, a very good secondary uh, of Auburn? You mentioned Roger McCreary. They got Smoke Monday there, who makes plays on occasion, a big-time hitter. I like Nehemiah Pritchett. It's more of a nickelback at the next level. These guys all have solid ball skills. Smoke Monday may not be the greatest athlete in the world, but he's, he's a tough football player. I, I mean, As far as Auburn's defense is concerned, I I mean, this is is the call for them up until the Alabama game. You know, they got to really start to play up to their level of ability. And on paper anyway, it's not only a good prospect matchup, but it's a matchup where the Mississippi offense should at least be slowed down by the Auburn defense.
1: Yeah, this is SEC football, and you say Smoke Monday. He may not be the greatest athlete, but he certainly has, and he has for the past few years been had the greatest name in college football. He's up there. Bumper pool, Smoke Monday. The SEC's got some really good names down there. Smoke Monday, living up to smoke sometimes, like you say, flashing. There's big hits, some ball skills. Secondary's is good. Matt Crowell's going to have to be on his game, but it, it's going to go one way or another. You're gonna you're gonna see a quarterback who's going to play well within the system, and the system's going to help him, or maybe maybe just maybe. He elevates himself and uh, sort of makes a name for himself by beating or looking good against a very talented defense full of potential NFL draft picks. So a lot to be had in this weekend of college football action. It's week nine. It's the last week in October, which means, again, November lends itself to midweek action. a bunch of Mac games and the plethora of two and two teams that are in the conference there in the Mac. The Mac is so fun. I, I honestly can't wait for midweek action next week. So looking forward to that, looking forward to week nine of college football and the NFL trade deadline, which we will have a bunch of news on, I'm sure, as we go through over on Pro Football Network. So this was the college NFL draft podcast between the hashes for Tony Pauline. I'm Cam Miller.